Father, once again, I have the privilege of coming before you. I'd like to do it for hours on end like your son did. It doesn't happen often enough that way. But as we open up your word and his direct um, quotes in the Sermon on the Mount, may, again, as I pray during the week, and for me and for each one here, that this would be life-changing. This is not intended to give us a little more information to make us feel good, nor to entertain or um, to give us a pat on the back. But it's your truth. It's eternal. It's profitable. And uh, may we let it in, and may we let it work, and then may we go out and, and apply it in our walk. So thank you uh, for this time in the, in the Gospel of Matthew and this um, sermon that Jesus shared in the past that is very useful for us today. Use it for us and for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Matthew chapter 5. We've gotten all the way to verse 9. Woo-woo. We're celebrating, right? Half of the church isn't here. I did not give out permission slips, but I know a lot of my family right now is on the road, heading somewhere. My wife heading home, my son heading to Florida, um, my daughter in California, my other son in Klamath Falls. It's Labor Day weekend. Welcome. Thank you for you, uh, your faithfulness and your willingness to not run away like the rest of them did this weekend. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd have to talk to, I'd have to put a dummy up here with a smile on their face, hopefully. So I could have, have somebody to talk. Jim will volunteer. Okay, great. Jim can't go away, Pat. You've got to leave him. We're going back into the Sermon on the Mount and specifically into the Beatitudes. And just, again, I'm going to do some review because it's important for you to realize how this flows together, especially when we get down to the, the final one here of the peacemakers. We'll do some more blessed next week, Lord willing, um, but it kind of switches gears a little bit. Um, so look at this as Jesus, the master teacher, is giving this short, amazing message. And we realize that as it all goes together, it's a portrait of Jesus Christ. This is who he was when he became man and came to earth. And you can walk to each one of these and you can see his, um, his life and his characteristics. When we look back on this whole idea of being blessed, it means to be happy, privileged, spiritually prosperous because of what God's doing in our life. So we've been enriched by him. Very fulfilled, very satisfied. It's a state of bliss, spiritually speaking. You cannot explain it to an unbeliever. They have no idea what you're talking about. They, they think it's phony. They think you're just a, a hypocrite who's putting on a front for them. They, they're going to have to see it in real life when you're put under pressure. They've got to see you when you hit your finger with a hammer. They've got to see you when you stuck your finger in the sewing machine, and the needle went through your finger. Think that can't happen? Ah, we have witnesses. Does not feel good. Especially if the stitch got all the way through and it connected. Then you got to figure out how to get the silly thing out, let alone the needle. But, but you have other experiences in your life, a breakdown, financial problems, all kinds of issues. You talk to many, many rich people, and they'll tell you they learn more from their bankruptcies than they did from making their riches and being successful. But this is the real life. This is when people are really watching when you go through hardship, and they want to see how you're handling it. We grieve. We struggle. We have pain. We cry out. But is Jesus Christ the center of everything? This is what they're looking for. And so this individual who's blessed by God pleases him and is approved by God himself. As I stressed here under lifestyle, 
that that what I just shared was the liberation, the lifestyle. It is a, a present way of life. They are blessed uh, here and now. Not only someday in the future. It's daily. It's a true enjoyment that the world does not understand. They are really successful, fulfilled, joyful. And as we went through these characteristics, we've already preached on being poor in spirit. Seven character qualities. Being poor in spirit is a position of spiritual bankruptcy. You come to Christ when you acknowledge you have nothing. You can't do it on your own. No 50-50. It's just how it works. There are so many people in church today who think they're saved. I talked to somebody yesterday. I asked them a couple questions, and um, I didn't get very good answers. And uh, they said, uh, I said, how are you doing? They said, pretty good for somebody who used to be wicked. Or no, who, pretty good for somebody who's just wicked. And so I sat there for a second while they're doing something for me. And I said, yeah, I used to be wicked until Jesus Christ came in and changed my heart. And you can see a pause on his face. He goes, oh, oh, yeah, you know, I understand that. He goes, I'm ordained. And I went, okay, where's this going to go? And I don't want to give too much information now, but, but, but he shared more with me. And I said, well, when did you come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Because that's kind of what he was claiming. Oh, I did that at a young age. And then I went wicked, you know, uh, on this other, without giving details of what I do with my life. And now I've kind of come back. And so I thought, man, I've got to, I can meet up with this guy again. I've got to talk some more. He was on the job. I could only take so much of his time. And he did stop standing there talking to me for a little bit. And I went, okay, I'm going to get him in trouble. But as you're looking at this, people don't understand. They've never become poor in spirit. They've never acknowledged, I have nothing to offer God. You do it all or I'm lost. So then the next one, once they've done that, those who mourn, Practice a personal grief over sin. Once God has initiated the fact that you've come into this relationship, and it's, it's kind of a total process here, you are deeply sorrowful because of God. You're, you recognize sin in your life. You never even saw it before. It didn't bother you to do things to people. Now you're aware. He's turned this on. So the first one is happy are the helpless. The second one, those who mourn are happy are the sad. You've got to come down to a point where you acknowledge where you're at personally. Number three, blessed are the meek. This is a promotion of God over self, not how I used to live. Humbly submissive to God, I'm self-abased. I do not promote myself anymore. You ever feel that well up inside you when somebody shares a story and you want to give them a story about you? We all do that, don't we? What I'm working at in my life, because I do it too, is when they share a story, I try to enhance their story by asking questions rather than distracting them from what they're sharing and getting them focused on me because that's my tendency. So I'm still working on this idea of promoting God and including others over myself. Happy are the surrendered who let God use your life and recognize you. Number four, hungry for righteousness, or hunger for righteousness. These people are blessed because they have a passion to be right with God. Completely focused on God with this insatiable spiritual appetite to know more and more and more. This is what stress in the book of Matthew, especially in the Sermon on the Mount, is righteousness. And we see here that happy are the holy. The, number, the fifth one, blessed are the merciful. This is a pardon of others. These are people who show compassion, genuinely sympathetic because of God in their life, tender-hearted toward the needs of others. We talked about the Good Samaritan showing mercy. 
And so here, in reality, I put down happy are the generous. These are the ones who now, in spite of what they used to be, was hoard, 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 get more and more and more for self. They now are constantly giving out. And you can see all of these are things that Jesus Christ did. You move from blessed are the merciful to blessed are the pure in heart. This is one who has a peaceful mind because of their sins are covered. Entirely clean conscience. We stress that. To stop living with a guilty conscience. They're guiltless. They've been released. Happy are the forgiven. So many people today, they, they get up to this point and then they can't let go. But, but, but I owe God. What do you owe him? Oh, I've, I've done some really bad things in my life. I thought Jesus paid for that. I thought he forgave you and gave you new life and declared you righteous before him in your position. Why, why are you living in that? Why are you struggling with all that? So we spend time there. Happy are the forgiven. And then he went to this one for today. Happy or blessed are the peacemakers. I put down here just for an explanation, and you're going to take me a while to explain this to you, but peacemakers are preachers of reconciliation. Just to put it in big words, biblical words. But they're preachers of reconciliation. They're trying to get people reconciled to God and people reconciled to each other. This is what a peacemaker is. Not quite what I usually hear it used for. The peacemaker is passionately seeking harmony to help people have this tranquility that God desires, to help them to be saved. And so I put down on here, happy are the ambassadors. I wanted to say happy are the lifeguards, but lifeguards sit there a lot and get a suntan. I picked the word ambassadors because even though I, the idea of lifeguards fits as those who go out and rescue people, what he's doing here is he's going full circle. Happy are, or blessed are the peacemakers who now go back to those who need to become poor in spirit and share the message. They go out as a lifeguard to the ones who have admitted they're totally destitute. They're going down one, two, three. They're drowning. And you become a peacemaker where you're helping them to be rescued and to come to know God and to have that reconciliation, that peace with God that's offered. That's the context of what's being brought up here. Many people think happy or, the, or blessed are the peacemakers are just the, the nice people that never cause any problems and, and they're always um, uniting people. Around what? Muslims? They can be well united. When they go around and around and around there in Mecca, they're working really well together to a false god and a false religion that doesn't satisfy anybody. And when you as a Muslim get out of line, they come after you. You are not loved as a Muslim because Allah can do whatever he wants. People keep trying to tell me today, and you're probably hearing that Allah and Yahweh, the God of the Bible, are the same. No way whatsoever. That means they're ignorant of Islam and they're ignorant of Yahweh. Because Yahweh can do whatever he, um, can't do whatever he wants. The, the God of, uh, Allah, the God of Muslims, is a God who can lie. He can deceive. He can change things. He doesn't have to follow any system. That's not our God. I made up a handout if you want to know more about that. A few handouts, handouts uh, out of Islam. But this is what people are trying to say brings unity. You can be a Mormon and be unified until you break some rule. Then what will happen to you? I had a relative 
whose husband no longer wanted to be a Mormon, and the Mormon church came to her, and they said, you divorce him, we'll find you a new husband who is a faithful Mormon, and you're on your way. And that's exactly what they did. Sad. They're not looking for God's unity, which is clearly stated in Scripture, and we'll get into some of that. They're looking for a unity that they feel comfortable with. That's not what peacemakers are in the Bible. This word only shows up one time. Kind of interesting. You would think they would use this all over the place. But it's, it's just one who is a doer of peace. But one who is trying to make peace in different situations. And the context here is specifically between unbelievers and God. That would be the primary one that would fit right back into the story. So peacemakers are preachers of reconciliation with God, with man. Passionately seeking harmony, tranquility towards salvation for an unbeliever. And then I put down here, happy are the ambassadors. You'll see that come up in just a second. So to summarize these, um, the, the personal, the way to God is through Jesus Christ on your outline there, and to pick back up where we were. These individuals are those who are spiritual beggars, verse 3, repentant mourners, verse 4, surrendered servants, verse 5, hungry learners, verse 6, generous caregivers, in verse 7, forgiven sinners, in verse 8, and good messengers or good ambassadors in verse 9. Let's look at this a little more as he discusses it. And I'll start by taking you back to Isaiah 52. Isaiah chapter 52. This is a book you're constantly memorizing from, right? Boy, you guys are double quiet today. Are you breathing? How many are alive? Uh, Half of you? Okay, well, that's positive. 51%. And... The what? All the people who make noise are... Oh, the noisy people have left for the weekend? Is that who goes out on um, trips? and So on Labor Day, you're still here laboring. Right? The rest of them have escaped. Isaiah 52, verse 7. What comes after Isaiah? The end of 52 and end of 53, what's the focus? Jesus Christ's suffering, death, crucifixion, taking our place... But so as he leads up to it with 52.7, let me read 6.2 just to pull in a little bit. He says, therefore my people shall know my name. This is the, the positive half of the book of Isaiah. Uh, they shall know my name, therefore in that day I'm the one who is speaking. Here I am. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. This verse is quoted in Romans 10, 15. The same um, chunk of this verse is taken out of there. He's describing those who are bringing good news, who are announcing peace, who are uh, announcing salvation. He's putting those together because that's what a peacemaker does. So you may think, well, I'm a peacemaker. I, I settle squabbles. I'm a teacher in school. I get kids to stop fighting. For how long? How do you get them to stop? I separate them. How does God get people to stop fighting? He changes them. God goes after the heart. We too often go after the outside. This is where your religions come in. It's an external thing that they're doing. It doesn't last. Being a peacemaker, God's way is an inside change of the heart where you now become the rescuer and you go back to the first one, you find somebody who is poor in spirit, someone who's going down for the third time who can actually acknowledge 
I am at the end of myself. What do I do? So you have your little rescue shirt on and your bathing suit and your, your little life preserver and you swim out into the rip current to rescue them. And sometimes you've got to swim sideways to get out of it. And you're putting out a lot of effort and you bring them back in and they're so thankful. Until you tell them, you never should have swam out there. You walk them back over. You see the sign? What's the sign say? No swimming. Rip currents. Oh, so the person either gets mad, sharks would keep them out of there. You can't always guarantee there's a shark around. So sometimes people get mad at you. Oh, you're embarrassing me. Why are you pointing out my flaws? Why couldn't you just rescue me and leave it at that? But the one who really recognizes they did something wrong and really appreciates they've been rescued, what do they do? They say thank you and they acknowledge their fault. They acknowledge their sin. They mourn. They realize I never should have done that. That was, that was wrong. What I've done in my life in the past, I'm only using a swimming in the wrong place. You put the sin in there that would fit in there. Never should have gone there. Can you undo it that the shark took your foot off? Nope. If it said no swimming sharks and you go out there swimming and this guy, the lifeguard, swims out there and rescues you and, and even um, ignoring the fact that he too could get bit because there's blood in the water and you come out and you chew him out, why didn't you rescue me sooner? Why weren't you up in that little stand saying, shark? And they start coming up with excuses and they get mad. That happens when people get rescued. It'll happen to you. If it's a, just a religious thing that they've done and you've pointed out their flaws, they will not be happy with you. But if you're really doing it God's way and you're the peacemaker that goes back and now you start repeating what Christ did for you. You're rescuing helping people to see their sin, causing them to surrender to God, and on it goes. And so as we look at this picture in verse 9, the peacemakers, it's a definite article. It's the ones cultivating peace. This is a limited group. I call this the spiritual seal team. <laughs> Those on a mission, driven, motivated, they're a team. So there's teamwork going on with these people. That's who they are. The ones cultivating peace work together very, very well. They've all come from the same place. They've all had the same training. They all have the same, what do you call the SEAL team leader? SEAL team leader. And so they're all coordinated. They're working well together. And this is the ones cultivating peace. It's discernible in their lives. It's a distinct lifestyle. There are certain habits that come out of individuals that are peacemakers. Like what? What do you hear out of their mouths? Quiet ones that never talk. I'm going to force you into it. Dennis has already spoken up. but What should be coming out of our mouths regularly? What did I tell the guy yesterday that I bumped into? Jesus Christ has changed my life. I used to be wicked. I'm not anymore. That wasn't bragging. It could be taken that way, I guess. Not quite how I said it. Not quite the context. But you're, they're going to find out. And I told you, remember my friend in high school? That I don't share his name because I don't want to cause problems. That I witnessed to, and he finally told me one day in, in high school, shut up. Leave me alone. What was my lifestyle in high school? I was a peacemaker. We saw people come to Christ. We saw a drug addict come to Christ. We saw different ones because we spent time praying together. The unified group of true believers met 
in a classroom, got kicked out, met in the bleachers out in the parking lot that you could look at one of the games from, got kicked off the school grounds, met in an apartment across the street. We could have been in an international, a national lawsuit. We could have gone to the Supreme Court. We could have demanded our rights. What good would that have done? All we wanted to do was pray, and we accomplished that. We could have stood out on the sidewalk and done it, too, with picket signs that said, this school stinks. But God was using it. At times, I had people turn and tell me to shut up. Stop telling me how I can have peace with God. They're going to do that. The majority are going to do that. How do they treat Jesus Christ? If there was a peacemaker that came to earth, it was him. How was he treated? He came unto his own, and his own received him not. He worked signs and miracles. He did so many things, fulfilled scripture of the line of David from the tribe of Judah, on and on and on. They could verify, this is our Messiah. But what do they say? We don't want him. In essence, what are they saying? I'm not drowning. Leave me alone. That's your world today. That's what you're seeing with a lot of these people, children especially. They're being raised up to focus on themselves. They're being raised up to hate the Bible, hate Christians, hate God. And they don't know any different. By the time they get old enough to know different, who's supposed to talk to them? Us. We're supposed to help them understand there is a God. And he's already told them that. The Holy Spirit convicts everyone coming into the world. They have a conscience in Romans 2 that makes it clear that there's a God they know. <coughs> Even in the midst of their sin, they know. But this little word, the, is a definite article that zeroes in on a specific group who are making a positive change, seeking reconciliation. Helping people go from being enemies of God to being friends of God. Very important role. We've got to do it. It's not going to be easy. If you're part of the spiritual SEAL team and you don't really know what to do, then get some more training. Have somebody show you what you can share. We've had these little booklets that, um, sorry I put my head down in the microphone. Little tracks back there. This is a real simple one that I use a lot. I've used probably 12 of them over the years. This is the one I've kind of settled into. Because it just gives basic questions, basic scripture, basic illustration, and leads them to make a decision. Or not. And so I pass these out on a regular basis to people. There are no excuses. You can't say I don't know how. When you can simply walk up and say, hey, this was real important to me. This made a difference in my life. Read this and let's talk about it. Do I need to repeat that? Do I, do I need to help you memorize that, that idea? It's not difficult. Stop giving God excuses. To, to be a peacemaker, you've got to be able to admit that I am able to go out and rescue a drowning swimmer. <gasps> That's too hard. <gasps> Sharks, riptides. That's too dangerous. We're giving God excuses. Instead of letting him use us. You know, the, the blessed time, and I, I realize is, um, um, Kirsten's not here, nearing those days, and Ellie just had her baby yesterday, was it? I, I get days mixed up. Day before? One of those days. Yeah, I think it was 5.30 yesterday morning. And, and so when these children come in, it is an exciting time. It is life-changing. They're noisy, and they're messy, 
and they're demanding. And your job is to take them from that initial birth. Well, they're really quiet right at first because they're in shock. But, but as you take them from that, from that birth and you start working with them, you are there as the, the guide to start helping them to learn some things. And it's not fun. You were one of those ones. Somebody took the time to help you. Feed you, change you, clothe you, listen to you all hours of day and night. Correct you, guide you, teach you to be a contributing member of society where you aren't just sitting there making demands. But that's another subject I'll get off on and I'll get lost. These peacemakers can be just easily parents. Let me give you some examples. This is what really stands out. Once I explain a little bit, because it's only used once in Scripture, it's hard to nail down. But these individuals are working to bring harmony, wholeness, tranquility in people's lives. Not just helping them get along with others. It's an active passion. It's an internal drive that motivates us. If that's not there, you've got to ask a couple questions. Am I saved? Did I ever get rescued, mourn, become meek, and on through? Has that ever happened in my life? And if it hasn't, put up your fingers. One, two, three, going down. I need someone to rescue me. Admit your need. Stop playing around. I admitted or told you years, I repeat many things so they've been here too long. We had a girl in the high school group, professed to become a believer at a very young age, and I remember the day she really came to Christ as an older teenager. And everybody was shocked. You know how hard that is to admit? No, I really wasn't. You know what the, the illustration of that would be? I'm out there drowning, but they all think I'm, I'm on the beach sunning. But I'm out there drowning, but I want them to think I'm on the beach sunning, so I'm not going to tell them I'm out there drowning. I'm not going to call to the lifeguard. I'm not going to be uh, thrashing too much because of the sharks. But I'm going to be out there trying to get somebody's attention. No, 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 I'm not going to get their attention because they think I'm saved. They think I'm on the beach. What's stopping them? Pride, which dominates us as unbelievers and tries to creep in with us as believers. You have to admit your need. You have to humble yourself and come to that conclusion where I, if I don't tell them the reality, I'm never going to understand or never going to come to Christ. Or you sneak in. You, you join as a secret spiritual seal where I just, oh, I'll get saved, slip back in there. Nobody will know the difference. They'll think I've always been on the beach and I'm doing great. Now what am I doing? Deceiving. Deceiving is, is spelled with an L-I-A-R. Or L-Y-I-N-G. I am really, all deception is, is a lie. See, when you come to Christ, you can finally be real. It doesn't matter that everybody treats me right, because my security comes from Jesus Christ. People ask me that. How come it doesn't bother you as a pastor when you, you'd be shocked at the stuff in a small church in a small town of what people do to you? I got so many knife wounds in the back, it's, it's, I can't count them. It's just part of the job. I got a, a text from Mark Barrett yesterday. Um, I don't know if he's still on vacation or just got home. He showed me this old man, really decrepit old man. And he says, here's your typical pastor. And he says, this guy's only age 22. <laughs> but it isn't just pastors. 
It can be whatever your job is that people take advantage of or don't appreciate. And so your reaction to that isn't to go curl up and go, oh, I'm going to die. Life isn't worth living. My focus is on Jesus Christ. I learned early on, the only one I really need to please is God. So when somebody else is not pleased with me, again, I check, have I done something wrong? No. And, and when I say that even, have I sinned? Because I can do something where they just don't like the way I parted my hair. I can't do a whole lot about that. I don't have any hair. But as you're looking at the whole struggle of this, you can get wrapped up in self, which is what the unbeliever does, or you can finally relax, be real, and let Christ take care of it. And he will take you on a road and a, a pathway that will be his most exciting thing. This is where the spiritual prosperity comes from. This is where the full enjoyment comes from. It's from knowing him. I'm not dependent on other people to make me happy. Jesus Christ has already done that. So as he wrestles through these, and you, you look at the idea of blessed are the peacemakers. I looked up Webster's Dictionary. A peacemaker is an individual that reconciles or attempts to reconcile parties at variance. The unbelievers don't know they're drowning. They do not know they're at variance with God. They've kind of blocked that out because everybody around them tells them they're great. And whatever your lifestyle, whatever choice of he, she, them, who, whatever you've picked, you're right on track. You know, we're just starting to get just on the edge of the whole transgender thing are people who were doing this 15, 20 years ago. It's all went on the news, giving their testimony. They had become the other of what God had made them to be. And they were admitting on the news, they've destroyed my life. And I can't go back. And you want to call out to them, but you can still have peace. You can still be made right with God. It doesn't matter. You're going to struggle and suffer just like all of us do from our past sins. But it was sad hearing that because they didn't give them any answer. And now what they're doing is encouraging not tens or hundreds to do it. It's thousands if not ten thousands to do it. How do, what do you think that's going to do when it comes down to society? They're not going to get married. Not in the sense of having children and raising a family. They've destroyed them physically. Boy, you guys are quiet. At least some of you are smiling once in a while. This is not just getting along with others. Let me show you some passages of where it makes sense and applies. Romans 5. So you've got to get your electronic device up to speed here. Going to have you flip it around a little bit. Or your Bible if you still use one, like me. Romans 5, verses 10 and 11. Talking about Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, having justified us. He says in verse 10 of Romans 5, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have received the reconciliation. That is, have received the peace with God. Who was the peacemaker? For me, it was Mrs. Schultz, my second grade Sunday school teacher. You think you can't have any impact on kids. I came to Christ with my second grade Sunday school teacher. Seven years old. I got saved there in class. I walked an aisle because back then that's what they did. 
I made a testimony to the whole church. I got baptized a, a couple months after I turned eight because I was right about my birthday when I got saved. I could barely see over the baptismal wall. But it was real. It was personal to me. And I was changed. But Mrs. Schultz had the biggest impact on me for that. My parents had stuff around. My parents had the Bible on the coffee table and dusted it off once a week whether it needed it or not. They took us to church, but our church was a typical church that had lots of problems. And eventually had a split, and my dad and mom stopped going. So I didn't go to church for five years, from 11 to 16. When I got back to church, they got a new pastor. He started reaching out to people that used to come to the church. I got to a youth meeting, and I told you before, a pretty girl sitting on the other side of the table, that always motivates a 16-year-old teenager. But the guy sitting next to her, her humiliated, tried to humiliate the daylights out of me because he liked her and he didn't want her liking me. But what did I tell you? Genuinely saved, secure in who I was. I ended up dating her sister. But that never went anywhere. God waited for another 11 years before I got married. I had a lot to learn. But he's providing the needs, and he got me into church, and then when I found out, you mean you can read the Bible? You can study the Bible? You can actually delve into it? And I realize it's like a love letter from God. It is like a treasure mine that I can go in. And this is what I did this week as I, as I looked at this passage and found things and connected things. I went, I never saw this before. This is the road that we should be on because of Jesus Christ who made us friends with God. Look at Ephesians 2. Jesus Christ was our peacemaker initially, working through people. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. I'm sorry I'm jumping into contexts here that are hard to keep straight, but I'm just going to start in here. Um, Ephesians 2, 13. In Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What did he do? He rescued the drowning sinner. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one. That sounds like a peacemaker to me. And broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is in the law of commandments, contained in ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. There's your peacemaker. This is why Jesus Christ came. Peace on earth is what the angel said. Among men with whom God is pleased. This is what he's after. This is the good news that we should be shouting from the rooftops. This is the good news that we should have every opportunity. I'm going to be gone for a couple weeks, in, in a um, few couple weeks, and... Um, I'm looking forward to it, to reconnect with some relationships, to reestablish where people are at, to strengthen believers. I almost feel like Paul on a missions trip, making a big loop, Washington, Idaho, California, and then maybe we'll come home. But God is wanting us to help people be reconciled. Don't ever take it for granted what happened to you. Don't ever get blasé and kind of used to it. Oh, yeah, those were the old days. Now i got to live. This is hard living. Stop focusing on yourself. God doesn't allow us to be tempted beyond anything that we can't handle. He provides, provides a way of escape that we may go through it, not around it. 
And so as he works in our lives, that's where the rejoicing comes in. And the giving of thanks because we realize what he's doing. Christ, again, did it for us. Made us into one body. He brought unity amongst who? Who's in the church? Name some groups. Ex-Mormons, ex-Jehovah's Witnesses, ex-Catholics, ex-homosexuals, ex-heathens in general, generally speaking. Ex-haters, ex-murderers. You get the picture? That's who he brought together. That's who he reconciled. Because he is the ultimate peacemaker. we got to stop putting in our heads that I can make excuses when I look at somebody and say, well, they're never going to want to hear the gospel. Really? Who gave you the right to pick and choose? Everybody needs to hear the gospel. Well, they might hurt me. Didn't God say that was part of the process? All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. We'll talk about that next week. And obviously, you understand why that's the next step in his discussion in the Sermon on the Mount? Because if you've really done these first seven things, now they're going to come down on you. Because you're not part of their clubs anymore. You won't drink and get drunk with them anymore. You won't do all the things that they felt comfortable with that made you part of them. When in reality, they would turn on a dime. They would shoot you or stab you in the back the first chance they got. Watch politics today. Watch people that are um, well-known figures on a, on a given camp, and they turn a little bit. Heaven forbid they tell you they became a Christian. That's pretty rare, but that happens too. But they don't follow the system. They're not part of the team. They've kind of deviated from what the, the unified group is doing, and they turn on them like what? Chickens on a June bug? Like what? A, a wolves on a deer. Or ticks on a warm body. Whatever it may be, they turn on them. Did you give me another one? Flies on a... On stink. Okay, that works. It's, it's still... Fit. But they'll turn. They don't, have, they don't love you. They don't have a relationship with you. They are not unified with you. You're all heading in the same direction, accomplishing the same goals, as long as you don't get in their way. You know that doesn't happen among Christians? Genuine love never does that. No matter what somebody does to you, you love them in return. Didn't Jesus demonstrate that as the ultimate peacemaker? I share this many times. He hung on the cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Do you understand what was going on at that moment? Do you understand the, the agony and the pain and the physical was not as bad as the spiritual when God put the sin of the world on him? And yet he could say that? That's what we're moving toward, right? That's what you're excited to arrive. That's what a, a spiritual Navy SEAL is like. There is no task we can't meet. There is no um, problem that we can't work through. There is no pressure on us that we cannot endure. We will die for the mission. Secret service is not far behind that. Christians ought to outshine them in, the, in our willingness to sacrifice for others. God's way, not just because they're throwing a spiritual temper tantrum. 2 Corinthians 5, this one really stands out. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5. We had to memorize this back in the day. Look at verses 18 to 21. He talks about being a new creature in Christ in verse 17, 2 Corinthians 5, 18. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Aha! The greatest peacemaker has made us peacemakers. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, not counting the number of times they stabbed him in the back, not counting how many times they sinned against him or cursed him or refused to obey. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. There's that word I picked out of all of this. Happy are the ambassadors. We're ambassadors for Christ as low as through as though God, sorry, were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Remember the story of the bus driver, just to give you illustrations? He, he picked up some people, of, I think it was four guys, five guys, on a route, I think it was Chicago, I don't remember it, don't want to read it, but, but as he picked them up, they waited till a few people got off, and then at a certain stop, they jumped him, took all of his money, and beat him up, knocked out some teeth, and left him there. Bus running, just laying there at a weird hour of the day where nobody was going to find him for a while. I don't know how, but they, they found him. I know how they found him, but I don't know how, but they tracked these five guys down. They arrested them. They took him to court. They have enough evidence against him. They were convicted. The bus driver stands up when the conviction was done. This is what you do with your children. You, you discipline them when you don't like it. You don't, it's, it's not fun ever. You work with them. Difference between childishness and defiance, foolishness. But when he stood up, the, the judge, he said, Judge, may I say something? He said, I would like to take their jail time on me. Here's a guy. I don't know if he had replaced teeth yet or if you didn't have them in there yet, standing in the courtroom, offering to take their place in jail. They were prostitutes. Everything was clear. They're guilty. The judge goes, no, no, we can't do that. That's never happened before. Then he went on to share about what Jesus Christ did for us in the courtroom. The judge dismissed all that, sentenced them to jail. This bus driver visited them in jail, shared the gospel with all five of them, you sense in any kind of love or desire to bring peace in their lives? And it was two or three of them that came to Christ. You think it's the worst thing in the world, that, that it was so evil I can't live through it. And God, or Joseph even acknowledges that you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He's going to use these things. This is why I can rejoice in the middle of them and be a peacemaker. Not because everything is perfect. Or this is how I would have chosen my life to be. I don't have my front teeth anymore. You want the permanent kind that they put back in, or you want the kind you pop in and out clean? This is the consequences of sharing the gospel. Look at Paul. Jim shared one verse, and I think it was this morning, about what Paul went through. And we were just reading through it. We didn't really focus on that. And I'm going, this poor guy. Oh, yeah, it was the one about the stoning. I'm going, first off, when you stone somebody as a Jew, you're really good at it. You don't suppose somebody's dead, 
Because they just got hit by how many rocks? What's it take to kill somebody throwing rocks at them? A lot of them because they're going to graze off. They're not going to have hit. They're not going to hit in a crucial spot, just a very painful spot. They're going to aim for the head because that's what they're trying to do is knock you out and kill you. They left him for dead. What does Paul do? He wakes up because he really wasn't dead, but they thought he was, so he's pretty bad off. He gets up and he looks for a lawyer. Right? I'm going to sue the living daylights off those people. He goes back into the city. What did he look like? Let's just say he got hit by 100 rocks. Because there's a crowd of people taking him down. His head is all swollen. He's got blood, maybe some lost teeth. It doesn't go into description of what happened to him. And what's he do? He goes back into the city to minister. People all go, well, Paul was different. No, Paul was in love with Jesus Christ. And Paul was in love with the lost. That's what made him different. Yeah, he may have had a few screws knocked loose, but that wasn't the case. God used him. And he warned him when he first talked to him that it was going to be hard. You're going to suffer. What do we do when we, when we face suffering? Run. You rip that lifeguard uniform off and, and whatever symbols that I haven't put on a hat, sunglasses where they can't recognize you, and you get out of there. Run away. Don't swim out in the sharks and the riptides. This is a tendency. But God says, blessed are the peacemakers. Happy are the peacemakers. Not because they feel good physically, because of what they're accomplishing in their relationships with men, especially toward God, but also with others. Let me give you one more in here. Uh, Colossians chapter 1. We always taught everybody with those verses. It's Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And it stands for go eat popcorn. Okay? So you, you kind of get these grouped together. If you find Galatians or Ephesians or Philippians, keep going right. You get to Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. Read a couple verses here. What does Paul say to the Colossians? And through him to reconcile this, through Jesus Christ, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. What did it cost him? Everything his life. Through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind. That's what he was, we were like when he shared the gospel with us, through individuals. You were engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, not because my past is removed. You can't take that away because it was paid for. I have been made righteous. I have been justified in Jesus Christ. That's what we're living for. That's why we can be at peace with others because we're at peace with God. This is the idea of being in harmony with God. When you go down to the bottom here, Matthew 5, we'll go back to where we're, where we're um, going from. I don't spend a whole lot of time here when I only have the one verse, and I'm chewing these verses up and making them, try to make them uh, understandable. Matthew 5, look at verse 21. Matthew 5, 21 says, You have heard that the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder. And we go, rats. There's some people that need to be murdered. But that's what it said. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you, Jesus Christ speaking, that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. 
And whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. And you read that and you have no idea what that means, right? Because that was a cultural thing of the day. When, when he went in here and he's trying to explain this, the idea of an angry is orge. Two different words for anger. This one's orge. The focus of this word, if you look it up in Vine's Expository Dictionary, is on revenge. This is an unsettled driver feeling toward revenge. So the first one he would say, if you are, whoever shall, I'm sorry, the one before that, whoever shall, who is angry with the brother, whoever is revengeful toward his brother, I'm going to pay you back. That is an ungodly desire. That should not be in the heart of a believer. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if you have this desire for revenge, you're going to be guilty before the court. God will hold us accountable for that. But he says, but whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, you call him an empty head. Well, that's okay. I call my brother empty head all the time. No, no. This one's a little stronger. This is a bitter contempt. This is the idea, if you hate your brother, and all that comes out of that, the bitterness that comes out of that, the refusal to talk to them for weeks, months, years, decades, if that's what you have, he says, you're going to be liable to the Supreme Court. That is a big deal that God does not simply go, oh, well, that just happens. No. Flat out wrong. We shouldn't desire revenge, and we shouldn't go to the next level where I just flat out hate them. It isn't one incident that I want revenge for. I hate them from my heart. Then he goes into the third one here, and he says, you call your brother you fool, or say, whoever shall say, you fool. This is the idea, again, of the stronger word that we're not allowed to say. So Rowan has to cover her ears and a couple others. But it's the idea, you're calling them stupid. You've never used that word before. This is the idea that you are calling them stupid or a fool. Morally worthless. And what you're really saying to them is, you're irredeemable. I don't want to share the gospel with you. God can't even save you through Jesus Christ. You're so bad, I want nothing to do with you. And you cut them off. You understand the progression here? It goes from revenge to hate to they're worthless. And I want nothing to do with them whatsoever. And he says here in the passage, if that's the case, you're in big trouble. When the verse said, you shall not murder, and whoever shall murder... But I say that here's the murder. You're killing them off in your heart. It's flat out wrong. This is the relationship that God wants to establish, these personal relationships. Look at 1 Corinthians 7. I'm going to run out of time, but I'll, uh, not quite. I've got a couple more, and I'll close off. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11. Now we're moving it into a personal realm. 1 Corinthians 7 is all about sexual relationships. Sexual problems that the Corinthians were having, and they wrote Paul, and he gives them some answers. When he gets down to verse 10, he says, but to the married I give instructions, not I but the Lord, in case you think I'm making this stuff up. He says, this is coming from God, that the wife should not leave her husband. Where's the exception? There are none. But if she does leave, because she broke the 
directions of God. Let her remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. What's God's goal? You know how many times in, in ministry I have worked with couples and one of them decided they got a divorce and you're working with them. You're trying to get them reconciled. And one of them goes off and marries somebody and the scripture says, door closed. They've remarried. You cannot go back. People don't like to talk about this. I keep telling them, don't get into another relationship. Work on this. Let God work on this. Sometimes they're not believers, and it's really hard to convince them. But I've been in a few situations, and only a few, when somebody got married, then they came to Christ, then they realized they wanted to be reunited to their wife. Whatever you do, don't ever give people advice, well, you want to be happy, so go find somebody else. Ever. They're not going to be happy. God cannot bless that second relationship in the way he wants to bless the first. Stop giving out bad advice. Follow the scriptures. But the desire here, he wants to reconcile the wife. And you can look into the context there. And one last one in Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. This one's about Moses. What did Moses do in verses 23 to 27? Who's speaking here? Stephen. He's given a message that they did not welcome well because they stoned him. And they did kill him. But in Acts 7, verse 23, But when he was approaching the age of 40, this is Moses he's talking about, it entered his mind to visit his brethren, the sons of Israel. And when he saw one of them being treated unjustly, he defended him, took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. He murdered him. But he's just an Egyptian. Verse 25, and he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him. Not that way. But they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were fighting together, and he tried to reconcile them. He tried to play peacemaker. How they respond? To reconcile them in peace, saying, men, you are brethren. Why do you injure one another? You're on the same team. But the one who was injuring his neighbor pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? You did not mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday, do you? How good of a peacemaker was Moses? Horrible. He had to learn. That's not the way you do it. He had to flee and take 40 years. How long do you want God to work in your life to figure out some things? It might be 40 years. When you get to the last part of this, and again, just reminding you, it's unity around Christ. Not politics, not religion, not hobbies, not sports, not skin color, not sex, not money, not social status, not common enemies, and you can go on and on and on. That's not where unity comes from. That's fake and it doesn't hold up. He wants it to be around Jesus Christ. And he promises a blessing because he says to those individuals in verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Two different words used in the New Testament. Sons and children are different ideas. And when he picks this word, he picks it on purpose. It's put in the passive. They shall be called, it means in the passive, they shall bear the name peacemaker. Be regarded as, called by his name, recognized as a reconciler for God. That will be their reputation. Their vocation is being a peacemaker. Not between nations, 
not make, to make treaties, but to reconcile individuals. In the next one, you could change character if you need an R word. I, I left that because I thought it stressed the, the meaning. But you could put the little word in there, relationship, because that's what it means to be a son of God. Weos, the word used here, is a focus on character. Not your fact of birth, but the prominent moral characteristics. You remember when a father would take on a Roman father? They didn't adopt somebody outside. They adopted their own children. They didn't adopt them at birth. They adopted them when they came of age, if they wanted to. That's Roman adoption. That's why it says in, in Romans 8.23 that believers are waiting for our adoption. We're going to come of age, and God is going to adopt us. It's still future. You have not yet been adopted the Roman way. You're a child of God and all that goes on there. But he's trying to bring out here that he, they adopted them and made them sons. They brought them into this prominent relationship, dignified relationship, where you get the phrase, like father, like son. Their conduct gives evidence of their dignity. Their likeness to the father is obvious. Went back to Ohio uh, with my brother when I was about, I don't know, 23. Went up to some relatives that hadn't seen us since I was 10. So I didn't, didn't look the same at all. Was back there at 10, I went back at 23. And they went up, and some of them thought I was my dad. Physically, I looked just like him. Mannerism. They'd keep staring at us and making comments. You talk like your dad. You make facial expressions like your dad. You're just like your dad. Like father, like son. This is the relational idea. This is what God says. He wants to make us sons of the father. That's what he's after is this likeness, this resemblance, this Christ-likeness that's going to come out because of who we are in him. Matthew 5, 44 and 45 bring this out. We're back in the same passage when he says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This leads into next week. In order that you may be sons of your father. There's our conduct. There's our relationship. We're acting just like he would act. Who is it in heaven, for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. But you, when you love your enemies, you're sons of your father. That's what a peacemaker is. It's going to cost you everything. You wake up in the morning, you give God your body, your health, your checkbook, your savings account, your house, your car. All of it is his. I'm at your demand, ready to respond. Ready to go into action. What do you got for me today? And I'm going to bring this ugly, stinky person into your life. Now, you don't understand. I'm going to bring them into your life. They're going to run into your car and crush it because they're half drunk. And they're the one, they're at fault. Then they're going to back out and try to drive away like we hear many stories these days. I had a wreck like that in Texas. But, but you're gonna, this is who you're going to meet. They're going to know who it is. You're going to get their license plate. You're going to follow up. You're going to meet them in court. How are you going to treat them? What's a Christian look like in court? Go back to Matthew 5. Do I want revenge? Do I hate them? Do I consider them irredeemable? Is that my attitude toward them? Then I have just murdered them in my heart. This is what he's after, is that we live just like Jesus. And Romans 8.14 says, if we're led by the Spirit of God, then we are sons of God. That proves by our lifestyle that we're reconciled. We have a relationship. We're his representative with great responsibilities and great um, 
opportunities for service. What's a peacemaker? An ambassador that seeks reconciliation, especially between God and man, but it may happen in a marriage where you're trying to get them back together. They're going to laugh at you. They're going to tell you, you're crazy. That's never going to happen. But if it does, you know what that does? It sets up an example in our world that is rare, that other people look at and say, how did that happen? And it just opens up the door for you to share the gospel. I know when I'm preaching, I bring up all kinds of things here that make you feel guilty. Stop feeling guilty. I think I already covered that a couple lessons back. It's not about you. It's not about how well or bad you've done in your lifestyle. The question is, what am I going to do going forward? What am I going to do with this message? That's how the people that Jesus was speaking to on the Sermon on the Mount were responding to him. And they were amazed. Remember that? They were astonished. He spoke as one having authority. Like you really know what you're doing. Like you're, you use the scriptures like, you, like the back of your hand, like it's just real. You want to fix this? Get on your knees. Confess whatever's in the way that's causing you to not be a peacemaker. Get into the word. Find out what God is requiring of us. Pray for his help and then go do it. Like riding a bicycle you're afraid you're going to fall off of. Go do it. Fall down, get up. Fall down, get up. Fall down, get up. Fall down, get up. We could write a song. Pretty soon you'll stop falling down. Except once in a while you'll Fall down. Because you run into something. You weren't paying attention. You got kind of careless. You took your hands off the wheel. But, but it's just part of life. And for some reason, when it comes to spiritual things, we're neglecting the most important thing of being a peacemaker. God's ambassador who's bringing reconciliation to a lost world. Let's pray. Father, these are hard messages. It would have been far easier for me just to quote the verse. But it wouldn't have meant anything. Help us as those who have come to know you genuinely, to be peacemakers, to desire to see people come to know you, to see the sins in their lives, some of them directly against us, and not want revenge, not hate them, not cut them off as irredeemable. May we want to see them come to know you, and may we be willing to lay down our lives for it to happen. Thank you for the truth of the gospel, if it's really changed us, Father, then help us to move on in our growth, to become rescuers, lifeguards that are willing and looking forward to going out and risking our lives to save others. Just thank you for the reminder today in Jesus' name. Amen.